Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing today? All right. Hey, I'm glad to see your smiling faces. Um, how about a little bit of this first? Can you say these numbers with me? 512, 5512. Again, like those of you that haven't been here, you're like, this is weird. Uh, starting off with a bunch of numbers. But it's the Old Testament. It's the, the, the basic categories of the Old Testament, and it's a good, good way to kind of break it up. Five categories, two simple numbers. I'll give you a, a hint for the New Testament. It's 521-1. So you got 12 turned backwards. It's very simple to easy to, to remember. I try to make it as easy as possible. So you have these five categories, right? We have the law. We have history, poetry, major prophets and minor prophets. That kind of breaks it all up for us in a simple, easy to uh, grab a hold of. We looked last time at the law, but this time let's look at the history. We have 12 books of what we call history. Of course, there's history found in a lot of other places, but this is the section they call history, right? And it starts off with Joshua. You know, you know all about Joshua, right? Joshua coming out of the, the wilderness and coming into the promised land. Uh, and then Judges, uh, a time of uh, ruling by different people, they call Judges. Uh, kings, what, what took place? Well, Ruth, I don't want to skip over Ruth, but Ruth kind of shows us uh, uh, some history into the line of David. It's an awesome story you can read. Uh, Samuel, uh, we have the Samuel the prophet, and then that goes into the period of the kings and the chronicles. Each of those have two each. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and looking at the life of, of Israel about the kings and and uh, uh, the good kings and the bad kings. And sorry to say, there were way more bad kings than there were good kings. But the history is all there, and the Bible is very uh, very clear and very open and honest about what it was like at that time. The last. Uh, three there, and, and I memorized these kind of in groups of three, and it made it much easier for me. Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Ezra and Nehemiah were, were guys who uh, were active during the time of after the exile, coming back to the land of Israel and reestablishing the temple and re rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And so it's the time of, of uh, coming back into the land after the captivity uh, the last book there in that section, Esther, is, uh, is written about a gal who, during the time of the exile, who uh, helped to save the Jewish people. And uh, that's a fascinating story as well. I encourage you to read these things. Uh, this, I think this section of Scripture probably some of the easiest to read because it's like narrative. They call it narrative because it's reading through like narrative of what happened during those times. And, and uh, I'm just... Uh, Right now, reading uh, for myself in Second Chronicles, it's, it's just wonderful, uh, beautiful stuff. So we're looking at the book of Micah, as you all know, and, and the big picture in the book of Micah, though he's one of the small, smaller books, one of the minor prophets, the big picture is this, that the Lord sent prophets to the people. Why? To bring them back to him. To bring them back to him. That's what he, 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 sends, he sends people to, to other people to say, you, you can turn back to God. You can turn to him. And in that case, in Second Chronicles, it says, though they testified against him, they would not listen. We all have a choice to listen. What, 
the big point in, in Micah chapter 6, 8, and this is kind of like the key verse, and it kind of always goes back to that in my mind here. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? These three things. To act justly, to do the right thing, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That's what he's asking us to do today. And we see that throughout the book of Micah. These things always referred back to, uh, to do the right thing. We're going to see that in, in chapter 3 today. The big hope, of course, found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the Savior from Bethlehem. Now, the last chapter, though, was, was pretty interesting. And, I'm, and as I've been studying this book, I'm, I'm just kind of amazed at how applicable this little book of Micah is to our day and age, to our society, to what's going on in our world today. Of course, the Bible is always like that, but I, I just have, I'm seeing these things here in this small little book uh, that apply to us today, not just to them back then, back in the you know, 700 to uh, 800 B.C., which is a lot of years ago, right? But applying to us today, some, how many years is that? You math people, help me out here. A lot of years, let's just say a lot. Micah chapter 2, tell us what we want to hear is this idea today. You know, we, we want you to say what we want to hear. Don't, you know, don't say anything negative. You've got to say everything positive. You've got to be, you know, always telling me good things. And and what they were facing then, and, and this is just a little review, they were facing materialism, which is our big thing today. This idea of coveting, well, if I want it, I'm just going to get it. I'm going to take it. And I'm not going to be satisfied with what I have, with what God has given me, these, that, that God has you know, given me these borders, and God has given me, provided with me different things. God said to them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring disaster. And their answer to that was, don't tell us that. He says, and he warned them, if you keep going down this path, I'm going to bring disaster. And, and, and they, were, they were telling him, don't tell us that. And Isaiah, who was uh, speaking to the people during the same time that Micah was, uh, he said, you know, the people were telling him, tell us pleasant things and stop confronting us with the Holy One. Don't confront us. Don't tell us anything that we might be doing wrong against God's plan. But Micah said that the Lord, the Lord is always saying this, that when we do right and we listen, we don't have anything to worry about. There's always hope for us. Now today in Micah chapter 3, I think this is, is this applicable for today or not? Corruption in high places. You know, the political and the spiritual leaders of his day, he nailed them to the wall. He wasn't afraid to speak, and it absolutely is a problem today. We all know the, you know, the quote, you know, uh, power corrupts, and we kind of see that happening, but, but uh, I, I got a few quotes for you here I thought were interesting. One is the, the great uh, wiki, uh, I was going to say WikiLeaks, but <laughs> Wikipedia. You know, we all trust Wikipedia, right? This is where we all find our answers. But sometimes, you know, some of the people know what they're talking about. He said, political corruption is the use 
of powers by government officials for illegitimate private gain. It's a pretty good definition. They're using their place for private gain. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. I like this, uh, this other quote, the heading uh, from newatlas.com. It said, our rotten world. New data shows 85% of humans live under a corrupt government. 85% live under corrupt government. But listen to this from uh, New Yorker magazine. Corruption infects every level of government, bedevils foreign development, enables terrorism, and fuels transnational crime. It is a recurring conundrum in business, in religious institutions, in education, in sports. It's everywhere. Corruption. You say, well, in the church? Any corruption in the church? Really? How could that be? Micah, again, he speaks directly to these things. And he's not afraid to confront with the Holy One of Israel. He's not afraid to speak the truth. In our society today, there's all kinds of stuff that, that you know, what we're cautioned, don't say anything about that. Don't say anything about that because... You're going to offend somebody. If you, end, if, if you offend anybody with the truth, what, what's going to happen? Micah was not afraid to speak out, and he, he speaks uh, directly to these things, to the leaders, to the civil leaders, to the religious leaders, to the prophets and the priests. Let's look at Micah chapter 3. I should have had you turn there already. Maybe you already did that. How many of you thought ahead and already did that? Okay, an extra hmm, something for you. No donuts today, sorry. <laughs> Micah chapter 3, I'll give you a chance to turn there. In verse 1, Micah says, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? He, he speaks directly, he says there's a a word for you, and, and you need to listen. In chapter 1 of Micah, it was a choice to listen. We all have a choice. Are we going to listen, or are we going to close our ear to what God has to say? He says, listen, you leaders and you rulers. He's speaking to leadership, and, and again, uh, leadership is crucial. We need leadership in all these levels of society. We need people to, who will you know, lead the way. But again, there's a danger there, leadership. There's a, this, this tendency to corruption. If 85% of the world is uh, under some kind of corruption in government, there's a, there's a serious problem there. There's a danger that we can go that direction. Look what he said there, though, in the last part of verse 1. He said, should you not know justice? Shouldn't the leaders know better? Shouldn't they know the right way? Shouldn't, you know, we, we expect more from them. But the truth of it also is, is that God will hold leaders accountable, especially leaders within his church. Jeremiah said, surely I will go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord. 
the requirements of their God, but with one accord they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds. Shouldn't they know? Surely they will know, the leaders. Is it a danger? Look what he says in verse 2 here in Micah. He says, you who hate evil and love good. You who hate evil and love good. Isn't that the opposite of the way it's supposed to be? He goes on to give this graphic description, and it's, it's almost uh, hard to read it out loud, but he says, you who, who uh, hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people, the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. That's graphic. Now, I don't think they were literally doing those things, but he uses this kind of language to say what you are doing is completely and utterly wrong. What, what were they doing? They were taking advantage of the people. They were exploiting the people. Those that they were entrusted to protect and care for, they were using them for their own personal gain. Does that ever happen in our society? Does that ever happen in the good state of Rhode Island? Oh. It does. Does it happen in the church? It does. But look what happens in verse uh, 4. Look what happens here in verse 4. It says, Then they, those leaders, says they will cry out to the Lord, but He will not answer them. Do you get that? He will not answer them. They're going to cry out to the Lord, but He will not answer them. And at that time, He will hide His face from them because of the evil they have done. Why would He hide His face from them? Because of what they're doing, because of what they've done, what, what they have done. Again, the big point of this book that God wants us to do the right thing, to act justly, to do justly. It, you know, it, it makes us ask some questions. Are there times when God will not listen? Are there times when God will turn his face from us? I think so. And that's what we see here. They were not doing the right thing, and God was not able to respond to them. He was actually turning his face from them. He's not answering them. Why? Because of the way they were treating people. Why? Because of the, what they were doing to the people that they were entrusted to take care of. Say, well, how does that apply to me? I'm not a leader anywhere, perhaps. Well, you know what? God also holds us responsible, too, as well. Look at Psalm 66. He says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If we're holding on to something we're cherishing, we're holding this sin in our hearts, it affects our relationship with God. If we're living in an immoral kind of lifestyle, it affects our relationship with God. It has to, because God is holy. God is who He is. Now, does that mean we all have to be perfect or God will never hear us? No, that's not what that means. But God will help us if we will humble ourselves. Again, part of the big point, if we walk humbly before our God and we seek to do the right thing, He'll hear us. He'll listen to us. But if we're holding on to these things, we're living in, in a, a crazy kind of way, He says, I can't hear you. James said it there on the screen. 
When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. If you, you know, we're, we've got this wonderful prayer list and we're praying, but all the things that we're praying for are things for me. And God's saying, I, you know, basically he says no, right? But what he's, what he's getting at, and I think what, what's happening with these people here too, is that, that they didn't humble themselves before him. And God wants us to humble ourselves before him and get our hearts right that we would do the right thing. It affects our lives. Proverbs 28 said, If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. Wow. My prayers can be detestable? They can if I'm turning away from what God's Word says. Isaiah, again, who was speaking at the same time as Mikey, says, When you... When you spread out your hands, this is God saying this, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. He goes on to say that if you will turn, I'll wash you. Your sins will be as white as snow. You know that passage. We sing a song about it. So there's this idea, this this concept here that how we're living affects our prayer, affects how God hears us. Now, that's not always the course. You know, sometimes God just, uh, you know, it's God has a different plan from what we're praying. We seem like he's not answering because he has a different plan. The timing isn't right. A lot of different things that take place in our, in our prayer and, and how God answers prayer. But, but if, if we're holding on to these things and we're, we're doing what isn't right, There's a problem there. There's a problem, and we need to humble ourselves and say, God, what is the problem here? And uh, I was going to say usually, but it's not usually. It's always the problem lies with us, not with him, right? Problem isn't with him, though we like to say, God, what is your problem? And God says, excuse me? Uh, I'm not the one that has a problem here. It's always us that has the problem, right? True? Some of you are going, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I can agree with that. Look at verse 5 here in Micah chapter 3. This is what the Lord says. That's an important little phrase. That kind of stuck out to me there. This is what the Lord says. That's what we need to be paying attention to. What does the Lord say? Not does what the media says. Or the world around us, what do they say? They say, that's okay, that's cool, that's good. What about what your family says? What do your friends say? Now, you know, we, we can get, you know, ideas and different kinds of things from that, but what really matters is what the Lord says. This is what really matters. Look what he says there in verse 5. This is what he says. The Lord says, as for the prophets who lead my people astray. Now he's talking about spiritual leaders. He was talking about leaders and rulers, and he he brings it into the spiritual realm too. The prophets who lead my people astray, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he does not, they prepare to wage war against him. Do you see what he's saying there? First of all, we, we have to make it clear whose people are they. God says they're my people. 
And this is the, the, the spiritual responsibility for anybody who would be a leader in the church that we always need to know that they are his sheep, his people. They're not our people. They're not, you're not my people here in this church. You're always going to be God's people. You're, you're God's sheep. In fact, Acts 20, 28 says to the elders in, in uh, Ephesus, you know, that they're his sheep and that, that they were bought with his blood. He paid a very dear price for them. So you better be serious about your responsibility, how you're going to take care of his sheep who he bought with his own blood. But notice this, what were they doing? It says, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. In other words, if they received something from them, they would would give them a good message, peace, peace. But if not, what do they do? They prepare to wage war against them. If you're not going to give to me, war. But if you, you know, if you give a good offering, peace, I'm going to bring you some peace. Does that happen today? You know, we hear it on, you can hear it on the radio, you can see it on television. If you just give to my ministry, first of all, there's something wrong in that. Give to my ministry. If you give to my ministry, Send me money and God will what? He'll bless you. Or I'll send you a special little cloth that you can put under your pillow and then you will be blessed. And and they have all these different things. If you give money, I will do this for you and you will be so blessed. If you buy my books and if you buy my seminars, you will be so blessed. Sometimes I want to say, why don't you just listen to your own books and and seminars, and, and, you know, you don't need me to give you money to bless you. Say, well, you know, some of you, you know, you don't, haven't seen some of this, and, uh, you know, I hate to uh, tell you about it, but it, it's, it's happening. It's been happening ever since I can remember. Now, I, I need to say this in the middle of this idea is that the church does need God's people to help provide. We pray for it. We, we, you know, we, don't, we don't beg for money. We don't say, if you don't, if you don't give, this is going to happen to you. But if you do give, this is going to happen to you. But the truth is, is that church, you know, uh, you know we, we haven't found any money on the property. <laughs> we haven't struck gold or hit oil. Well, we did hit oil. When we first got the property, we found a big tank out that was out here that was like unused, and they said, get that tank out of there, and it was, but it was full of water. There was no oil in there. So, you know, so who, who supports the church? Who helps uh, provide for the stuff? Who, who uh, you know, helps to support us as a, as a pastor? And, and it's us. We all do. I do. I help provide. I, I give as well as anybody else uh, in this church. So there's a need for that. But, but to focus on that and say, well, that's how you're going to get blessed, there's something wrong with that. And then you hear about, you know, some of these guys who are, you know, having mansions and yachts. You can do a Google search and find some of this stuff. It's real. They have Lear jets, all kinds of crazy, you know, extravagances. 
not to make someone rich, you know, just to support what God wants to do. That's, that's the whole point of it all. But he's saying, you know, you're leading my people astray. Why? To get something for yourself. Look at verse 6. He says this, Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness, without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The sayers will be ashamed, the diviners disgraced. They will cover their faces because there is no answer from God. What does God say he's going to do here? He says, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to fall into the darkness. And, and it's hard to see, but that's a black darkness slide that's up there. Just to help you get the picture. He says night and darkness is going to be there. There's going to be no answer. God is not going to speak to them or through them. Why? Because of the way that they were treating his people. Because of the way they were living. Because of what they were involved in. And I think it's, that's very much like we read up in verse 4. He will not answer them. There's no answer from God. But this is kind of what I see happening here. Because of the way they were living, God says, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear what's going on because of your behavior. Say, well, okay, that's Old Testament stuff. That's, you know, that's a prophet stuff and Israel, that's for them. And, 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 but... You know what? What about the New Testament? This is a verse we talked about yesterday in our men's uh, breakfast, but I've been thinking about this. He says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you, equal with you of the gracious gift of life. Why? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. If I'm not treating my wife correctly, you know what? I can pray all day and all night. If I'm treating her badly, God's saying, I can't hear you. Your prayers are being hindered. Your prayers are, are, are being stopped. Why? Because he's told us what to do. He's told us to treat our wives to be considerate, to treat them with respect. Things will get in the way. They can get in the way. I want you to turn with me to uh, Malachi, one of the other uh, minor prophets, the last one, as a matter of fact, before the book of Matthew. So you can just turn ahead and flip through until you see Matthew and then just turn back to Malachi. I remember uh, years ago uh, someone saying this was an, he was Italian, his name was Malachi, but... Uh, I don't think that's the case. Malachi chapter 2. And it's interesting. Um, a lot of these guys that I was speaking about earlier, they will actually use Malachi, the book of Malachi. It's a passage in there about giving, you know, that you, they, they hammer on you to give. But look what it says here in Malachi chapter 2 in verse 5. He said... Uh, I'm talking about Levi, who was a, a priest, right? The Levites and the priests, uh, 
priests were all from the line of Levi. He said, My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered, revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was, found, was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. This is what he was supposed to do. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, but because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. He's talking about the, the priests and the Levites. He said, this is what you're supposed to be doing, but you're not doing it. He says, you're, you're going you're gonna to reap what you sow in that. And then jump down to verse 13, this idea of the, the husbands and wives that I have here in 1 Peter 3. Another thing you do, verse 13, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. And you weep and you wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Again, they're praying, they're weeping, they're wailing, they're bringing offerings to the Lord, and the Lord's not paying any attention. He's not responding. Why? Because they had turned away from, from being what he'd called them to be. He says, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Wow. That's marriage, right? He's talking about marriage here. First he's talking to the spiritual leaders, but he's, now he's talking about husbands as well. And we see it in 1 Peter 3 that our prayers can be hindered. He says, you know, you're weeping and wailing, and, and I, I, the Lord's not even paying attention. Why? It's because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You know, I've been married a long time. And, I, and I'm, I, you know, some things I'm just starting to understand. You know, I hope to, I hope to before, I, before it's finished... Before I'm finished, I've hoped to at least have some things right in this thing called marriage. And I, I've made a lot of mistakes, yeah, and, and all that. But, but you know what? God holds us guys responsible, if you're married, to how you treat your wife. Okay? You can be a spiritual and everybody think, oh, that's old spiritual Joe there. And I hope there's nobody here named Joe. That's old spiritual Joe there. But, you know, behind closed doors, he's treating his wife like dirt. I'm sorry, uh, you know, if that's you and I, we, God is not listening. We can weep and wail and, and give excellent Bible studies as well, but if, if I'm not treating my wife correctly behind closed doors at home, uh-uh, not going to happen. God's going to act as a witness against me, against you. We're going to be held accountable, responsible, and that's what we see here, this corruption uh, it, it's not just in leaders, but it's in the leader in the home, too, who God has asked us to be, to show respect, to be considerate, to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. That's kind of heavy stuff, isn't it? But you know what? It gets down to the home, doesn't it? 
finally gets down to where we live. It always, always does. Let's, let's turn back to Micah chapter 3. We have communion today, so we want to save some time for that. Micah chapter 3 and verse 8. Micah, in contrast, what does he say? He says, but as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. I don't think he was lifting himself up, but I think there was something about this where he says, you know, it's not me, it's not my power, but it's the Holy Spirit within me that's going to help me to do what I'm called to do. Verse 9, he says, Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Again, the leaders, the rulers, who despise justice and distort all that is right who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Wow. Again, ever hear about that happening around here? Bribes, money, gifts. So it's in the news even now different people abusing the positions that they had to pocket the, the proceeds. Yet, the middle of verse 11, yet they lean upon the Lord and they say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Uh-oh, think again, right? Well, you know, I'm a believer and God, you know, God's not going to judge me. God's not going to do anything to me because I'm a Christian. Mm, we're going to reap what we sow. And judgment begins first at the house of God. That's what the Bible says. So we need to examine our own lives and how we're living again, uh, especially if we have any responsibility as, in some kind of leadership, in some kind of uh, place of authority, whether it's in the, in the community or whether it's in the church, but especially in the church. Therefore, verse 12, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble and the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. That's what he said was going to happen. Now, all of that did happen. All those things that I just read in verse 12, Zion, it, you know, Jerusalem was wiped out. The temple mount, the temple hill was just, you know, like a disaster area. In some ways, it still kind of is. Today, anyways. But these things all happened, and they were going to happen uh, when different nations would come in and take the people away. And, and the Babylonian, Babylonians came in and took over the city of Jerusalem and wiped it all out. But as I mentioned last time, Hezekiah the king heard these words. He was the king during this time when Micah was speaking. And he heard the words and he listened to them. That's the point. He listened to what God was saying through the prophet Micah, through the word that came from the Lord. And this prophecy was postponed for over 100 years. 
So during, during Hezekiah's time, God was, was uh, gracious and merciful. Why? Because they humbled themselves and they turned to him. And that principle is true for us today. If we, none of us are perfect, but if we turn and humble ourselves before him, God will have mercy upon you and upon I. Upon me, I mean. So, it's always a choice to listen, as I said in chapter 1. Now, the, the leaders, I want to finish with this concept before we go to communion, the leaders that there's a responsibility. And to whom much is given, much is required. And James said it in James chapter 3, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Be judged more strictly. We need to listen to God, listen to His Word. Realize that there's going to be an accounting. And we are never above it. There's no leaders that are above it. And you see it, and that's the kind of the, uh, uh, the, the feeling that you get, that, that these leaders feel like they're above it. And they can do whatever they want to do. Not so. We need to listen to God, listen to His Word, and and be, be very careful. Be very, very aware of the dangers of power. As I quoted Abraham Lincoln, if you want to test a man's character, give him power. But again, back to this verse in 6-8 where he says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the answer for you and I. To do the right thing. To love mercy, especially the mercy of God, and to walk humbly before Him. Let's pray before we get into our communion. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the fact that it's applicable for us, applicable for us today. That we need to listen, we need to pay attention, especially those who are in any form of leadership, that will be held accountable for what we do and how we treat your people, your sheep. Father, have mercy on us. Help us to do the right thing. Help us to walk humbly before you. I pray that perhaps we need to humble ourselves and, and our prayers aren't being heard. They're being hindered because of how we're living, perhaps how we're treating other people perhaps even how we're treating our wives or maybe even our husbands. Father, you know each one of us. You know what's going on in our lives. And, and uh, we, we pray you, by your Spirit, would speak. You would uh, put your spotlight into our own hearts and minister truth there where it's needed. You know where it's needed. I pray, Lord, as well this morning for any who don't know you as Savior, the great hope that we have. Jesus, who came, born in a, a stable, a barn in Bethlehem, who lived and then gave his life for us, who was buried and rose from the dead. That perhaps that's you today, you, you don't know him. You, you haven't accepted him. You haven't believed and trusted him. Today you can do that and, say, and simply say, Jesus, I, I humble myself before you. 
I ask you to come in to my life and be my Savior. I'm lost. I need, I need the hope, the only hope that you can give. In Jesus' name.